0: Well, hello church, if you would open to First Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, we'll read to verse 8, This is God's Word, it says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So what we want to ask for, Father, is godliness. And we would pray that You would help us to be disciplined for the purpose of godliness. And so Lord, use this study of Your Word toward that end. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, we uh, start the beginning of every year uh doing a sermon on prayer and Bible reading. Uh, and so... Uh, that is the theme for today as every year uh starting off the year um it is the new year as you know uh which is an opportunity uh many of us believe to kind of hit reset on uh many things in our life that may have dwindled away uh have been neglected in some way um a chance to hit restart and to recommit to things that really matter and to things that uh should matter to us and certainly matter to God. And so, um, many of us know that if we want to reach certain goals, uh, we need something called discipline. Uh, Discipline is needed. Uh, If we want to lose weight, discipline with diet, exercise, sleep uh, is needed. If we want to finish some degree or schooling, we're going to have to put in the time and study and effort needed if we want to improve relationships that takes a lot of intentionality and time and self denial uh, if we want to be wiser with money we're going to have to put accountability structures and limits on spending and things this, all of this all of it requires discipline, and uh there is no shortcut to improving something to recommitting to something in a meaningful way uh Discipline is needed. It's absolutely needed. And um, I just want to get us thinking about this for a moment before we get into this text. We could give countless illustrations. Some of you know, uh, we've got sports people here. Um, Some of you may remember a a man named Mike Singletary, uh, all-pro, two-time NFL defensive uh, linebacker. And uh, he was not a big man. He was actually smaller than me, size wise, weight wise, which is odd for a linebacker, a defensive linebacker, um, but yet he was masterful at his craft. And you go, well, how is that possible? Physically, he shouldn't be good at this, but yet he's, uh, this good. And we know from his biography that what he would actually do is, uh, he would take game, uh, reviewed, uh, what do you call it, um, film. And he would watch a particular play Fifty or sixty times, examining it from every angle, thinking about all the players and the cer- set of circumstances and every. And so he would go to a, a play a team he hadn't played or a player he hadn't played, but it was like he had played him a hundred times because he had watched all the film. And uh, this man was extremely disciplined, and it, it paid off in his career. Er- Ernest Hemingway, uh, many of you know, has built something of a reputation of not being a sober man. Um, but one of the greatest writers ever. And, um, he had this obsessive, uh, literary, uh, excellent, this standard of excellence in his writing. Even until late in his life, he would stand in his kitchen in Cuba at 6 a.m. in the morning and he would write, uh, oftentimes for hours just to find a, a few sentences, just to write out a few sentences with perfection, and his writing influenced the whole Western-speaking world. Um, An immense amount of discipline. Leonardo da Vinci, we know about his artwork, uh, unparalleled in the uh, fine arts. Many people don't recognize the amount of discipline behind all of that. He would actually do things like um, painting a hand. Any of you who are artists know how difficult it is to paint a hand? He, He would paint a thousand hands. One after the other, after the other, after the other, a thousand hands uh, to master his craft. Winston Churchill, known as the greatest speaker of the century, uh, had a very natural style in which he would speak. Uh, people would say it seemed like he was just speaking off the cuff. What they don't realize is that he had a list, and in order, and he couldn't speak off the cuff, he was actually um, made fun of much for his list, but he would write out word for word, every one of his speeches. And then, and then after that, he would even write in the pauses he would take, the arm gestures, the, the way he would make his face look, all of these things. And then he would practice in front of the mirror numerous times before every single speech. An amazing amount of discipline. And so we could go on and on uh, illustrating that if you want to be masterful or skillful or excellent in anything, you have got to put behind that desire uh, tons of time in mundane, unimpressive discipline. And if that's true for the arts or sports or academics or some career church, that is doubly true in regards to godliness. It is even more true in regards to godliness. Godliness. 1 Timothy 4 7. I'm going to use the word discipline. Many translations use this word instead of train. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So, what should you pursue above anything else in 2023? Godliness. How should you pursue it? Through discipline. That's what it says. And that's what we should do. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So Paul, a very disciplined older man, is speaking to Timothy, a much younger man, and says you must be godly, and the way to be godly is through discipline. The word is gumnos, which we derive our English word gymnasium from. It's a, it's a word that some would say uh, carries this connotation of a sweaty gym workout. That's how Timothy would have heard it. It, it would have that, uh, that feel to it, a, uh, a training in the gym. But also, gumnos, or train, or discipline, had this idea of an, in an ancient context of doing that training with minimal to no clothing on. So, meaning, you don't want big bomber jacket and jeans when you're running sprints. It's cumbersome. It gets in the way. So, uh, in this command to train yourself for godliness, it's get rid of, Timothy, anything in your life that would weigh you down, that would trip you up, anything, any habit uh, that would be a hindrance to you. Something similar to Hebrews 12.2 when it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that, that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the first question for you is this. What is that in your life that's weighing you down? That's holding you up from running with discipline and endurance the race marked out for you? And and just, you know, Paul is not a hypocrite when he's telling Timothy, be disciplined. Uh, Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9? He says, I do not run like a like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air, but I beat my body and make it my slave. So he's saying, I'm training for godliness. I'm not just telling you to do something I'm not uh, doing. And then, and then right in the context, when it, what he says to Timothy in our passage, for this we, me and, Paul, me and uh, Timothy, we're both doing this, Paul and Timothy, for this we labor and strive. For this godliness, we're both laboring and striving. And, and that word striving is, is the word uh, that's also translated agonize. So it's, he's literally saying, agonize for godliness. Make it hurt. Deny self in some way that there may be even some suffering associated with your pursuit of godliness. So for some of us, what is agonizing for godliness look like it it could simply be just the discomfort of waking up in the morning when you want a little more sleep. And we want that extra comfort. And we deny self and we wake up earlier to seek the Lord. Agonize. This is what athletes do. They do it for, Paul says, a perishable wreath. They do it for a trophy. They do it for praise from man. Uh, they put themselves on a strict regimen with eating and sleep and what they allow in their mind and not in their mind because it will affect their performance and their uh, their playing or whatever. This is what this is literally how the passage talks. Look how listen to what Paul says. Athletes go into strict training. This is Paul. Athletes go into strict training. Therefore. Do not run, he says, like a man running aimlessly, and do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. So, don't be aimless in your pursuit of godliness. You need to narrow it down, have a focus, have some discipline behind your pursuit of godliness, and that starts with controlling your body, it says. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of guys talking in Reformed land right now about bringing uh, the culture in subjection to Christ. What do we think about that? Amen, is what we think about that. But we don't start by bringing the culture into subjection to Christ. We start by bringing our own bodies into subjection to Christ. Are, are, are we bringing our own bodily impulses into obedience and in alignment with the will of God? That's the first question before we worry about others bowing before Christ. Listen to how First Thessalonians 4 says it. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk, how you ought to walk, And to please God, just as you were doing, and you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification, your holiness. That you abstain from sexual immorality. So that's the first thing. That's what holiness looks like. Abstain from sexual immorality. And then listen to the the next one. That each one of you know how to control his own body that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. So why did God give you the Holy Spirit? So you can control your body. You can control your body. Which I doubt anybody here would disagree with. I don't think we'd have anyone here who would disagree with that. I think, though, that there would be many of us here who might say, uh, easier said than done. I wish I would have been trained by my parents or growing up to be disciplined with my body because it's really hard once you are 40. It's really hard once you're 60 to learn how to control your body if you didn't learn that earlier. Right? And, um, I would just encourage us to go easy on our parents um, who may not have seen the consequences that some of their parenting decisions brought to us. Um, Many children are allowed to watch what they want, say what they want, do what they want, eat what they want, sleep as long as they want, basically have a chaotic, unordered life. And then somehow when they get older and they want to have a disciplined life, they've got to learn that. And they weren't taught that. And I don't know how many of you feel that. Wish I would have learned that earlier, but I'm just saying don't don't be mad at your parents. Okay, um, They probably weren't taught those things either. It is ideal to have two godly parents who are displaying a godly disciplined life and then teaching you to be godly and disciplined in your life. That is ideal. Right? We all want that for our kids. We wish we would have had that. That's ideal. What I've found, is that very few actually have that. And that even those who do receive that type of upbringing realize really soon, I still live in this body of flesh and I still have an enemy. And so even though I was taught all the right things to do to control my body and to live godly, it's really hard. And and so... Uh, It is true, guys. I I do believe that in many things in life there are disparities. There are innate disadvantages. Uh, That's true. So an athlete that's born with a strong body really does have a biological advantage to someone who's born with a very weak body. Uh, A musician who's born with perfect pitch has a huge advantage to someone who can't carry a tune in how well both of them sing. A scholar born with a brilliant mind has a huge advantage in doing well in school over someone with a low IQ, right? We know that this is how the world works. Spiritually, spiritually, we are all equally disadvantaged. There there is no uh, innate spiritual advantage any of us have, according to Romans 3. Uh, which says, none naturally seeks after God. None inherently are righteous. None instinctively do good. We all must be saved by grace. So, in other words, uh, if you have two people, you have a 20-year-old who was raised with godly parents, uh, very intentionally, and then you have a 20-year-old who was... uh in a had a life of chaos and disorder in their home, and both of them enter the kingdom at the same time. They're both saved and enter the kingdom. You can't go, oh, well, the guy that was trained really well from a young age, he's going to win. They're both running the race to the end. He's going to win because he was trained better. You can't say that in the kingdom of Christ. Many of those who are first will be last, and last will be first. This isn't how the kingdom of Christ works. And I'm, I don't say that because godly parenting doesn't matter. I say that because at the end of the day, we all must take this command discipline yourself for godliness. You, nobody can do that for you. I mean, you're, you can be taught these things, but you must at some point learn it yourself. It's not automatic. Uh, think of the father in Proverbs. All right, The father in Proverbs is sitting there with his son, and he's from every angle, he's trying to help his, his son gain wisdom. And he's saying, son, don't go this way. This is foolish. You'll experience this bad thing, and this bad thing, and this bad thing. Go this way. This is good. And he's trying to paint this picture of wisdom and godliness. That's good, but what does that son have to do? He has to reach out and get it. That's what the father keeps saying. Get wisdom, son. I can't just give it to you. I can't just bring it from from me into you. You have to receive it. You have to bring it into your own heart and life. Discipline yourself for the purpose of, of godliness. So think of the godliest Christian you know. Okay, Godliest Christian that you can think of. And the person that you're thinking of is a disciplined person. Without exception. And hopefully Jesus came to your mind. And He's a disciplined man. And was a disciplined man. Um, Many of you are here today at church because you're disciplined. Not because you had great zeal and passion to come worship Christ this morning. Right? We do many things because we believe it's godly. It's pleasing to God. It's been commanded. Uh, And that's what discipline often looks like. Why why does a man lead family worship all through the week for his family? Is it because he has great zeal always in his heart for it? No, it's because he's disciplined himself and he knows God's called me to it and it will bring good fruit. Godly Christians spend time in the Word not because we always feel like it, but because we know that the Word can make us feel like it. It can change us. Often, the counsel I'll give in Bible reading at this point um, is basically just read your Bible. Uh, I don't care what your motives are. I don't care if you feel like it. I don't even care how long you read it. Just read it. And when you read it, it will actually, if you're a true believer, it will begin to change and purify your motives in your heart. It'll do the work in you that needs to be done. Just read it. I don't want to move into us thinking about our discipline too quickly. We need to back up and think about Christ for a moment. Christ was a very disciplined man. Um, I, I mentioned a few weeks ago that Christ in 33 years, He accomplished more than the whole world combined. You don't accomplish more than the whole world combined by being lazy. You don't start the world's largest religion because you're a lazy man. You don't win the salvation of God's people because you're negligent. Everything Jesus did was purposeful, intentional, strategic. It wasn't disorderly or chaos or or, or random. He disciplined Himself for the purpose of godliness and He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Theologians say that Jesus was positionally sanctified and progressively sanctified. He was holy in perfection and He was made holy progressively. We see this in Luke 2. He increased in wisdom and with the favor of God was upon Him. Hebrews 5 says he had learned obedience. He had to learn obedience. Hebrews 5 says. And then right after that it says, being made perfect. Yes, he was perfect. But it also says, being made perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So he increased in knowledge. He learned obedience. How? By bringing himself under the Word of God. By continually putting himself under the Word of God. Progressively, ongoingly, in a very disciplined way, he did this. Now, I'm basing this largely off of another passage. Uh, I think you read this last week, Kent. Um, In Isaiah 50, verse 4. Listen to this prophecy about Christ. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Listen to this. Morning by morning He awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. Christ I believe that passage is saying, put himself every day under the Scriptures. He gave his ear to hearing the Word of God. He put his life under the will of God, under the Word of God, in obedience. Therefore, he did not sin. You say, but I I thought he didn't sin because he was the Son of God. Well, he was the Son of God, but he didn't sin because he was a man who put himself under the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit as a man. As a man, he disciplined himself and obeyed the Word of God morning by morning, it says. We know other times he would break away and get alone to pray. Mark one thirty-two says, when evening came after the sun had set, they began to bring to Him all who were sick and demon-possessed. So He's ministering late at night. Notice that clue. When evening came after the sun had set. So it's dark. He's ministering late into the night, and then it says right after that, in the early morning, while it was still dark. So it's dark when he went to bed, and it's dark when he wakes up. He left the house, it says, went away to a secluded place, and there he prayed for a time. wasn't a quick prayer just as, as he went. He went there and prayed for a time while it was still dark. I submit to you, Jesus did not start that disciplined pattern of prayer when He began His earthly ministry. He began that from His youth. He began that early on in His life. We know also in Luke 2.45, when His parents left Him three days, uh, couldn't find Him, remember this? Not the fault of Christ, the fault of His parents. <laughs> okay. uh, when you can't find your child, that's usually the parents' fault. Um, they couldn't find him in the temple and they found him sitting with the teachers, listen, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So many times we get amazed. We're like, man, 8, 10, 12 years old, he's sitting there teaching these scholars, these theologians. We get all amazed at that and that is amazing. But I think what's maybe even more amazing is what it says right before that, that he listened to them and was asking them questions. The, the eternal Son of God apparently didn't know all of this information that he had to ask questions. He was learning. He was disciplined to study the scriptures. And I, I don't know too many things that, uh, that give me more joy as a pastor than when, when young children come up to me after a sermon and uh, ask questions. Uh, good questions that are provoked by something that was preached from the Word and they ask questions. Or when they, I hear they go home and ask parents, what, is, what does this mean? What does this mean? That is a Christ-like thing. It's Christ-like to ask questions of the Bible and to study and put ourselves under the Word of God. Jesus did that. Morning by morning He awoke to hear as those who are taught. What I'm, what I'm saying is this. Jesus wasn't born and had all of this theological, scriptural knowledge programmed into His mind. As a man, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He learned it. He disciplined Himself in the study of the Word of God. You know, I, I love the... Uh, Some of y'all who are new notice that I mentioned the Puritans and the Reformers maybe an unhealthy amount, but I I do love them. And one of the reasons is because uh, I'm very weak. And I'm naturally very undisciplined. And what I love about the Puritans and Reformers is that they talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And for those of us who are weak, and who need help with all these things, the Holy Spirit is called a helper for a reason. He really is our helper. Um, you know, many people think John Calvin was famous for the tulip or predestination or something, but they don't realize that John Calvin wrote most about the Holy Spirit and uh and our great need of the Spirit. One thing that Calvin said is this What the Spirit first worked in Jesus' life, he now has recreated in us. Guys, you gotta hear what I'm about to say, because what may feel like guilt right now should transition at this point when you hear this passage. Second Peter one three, what was being displayed in terms of discipline, control over His body in Jesus has now been recreated in us. What do we mean by that? Look at 1 Peter 1.3 For His, who? Christ's divine power has been granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. His divine power has been granted to us everything pertaining to life and Godliness through our knowledge of Him. So when we come to know Christ by faith, we receive His divine power. Everything needed pertaining to life and godliness is indwelt within us by the power of the Holy Spirit and must be here, listen, must be applied to or supplemented with virtue, knowledge, self control. Godliness. I'm getting this from the context. 2 Peter 1.5 Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection with love. And if these qualities are yours and are increasing, why would they be increasing? Well, because you're disciplining yourself in them. Uh, It keeps you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, who whoever lacks these quali- qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, listen, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice, discipline yourself in these qualities, you will never fail. Church, the world knows nothing of that. What exists in you, that divine power, that will produce fruitfulness and godliness and self-control and brotherly affection and all these fruits it's talking about in 2023. That's in you, brother. That's in you, sister. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then it lists all these things I just read. And it says, but you must be diligent in them. You must avail yourself of them and apply them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you do promise, you will never fall. And then there's another promise. And there will be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. So, why pursue godliness? Well, are there temporary benefits to this and blessings with godliness? Yes. It says, discipline yourself for the purpose of of godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness. Is valuable in every way as it holds promise for the present life and even more for the life to come. So there's present benefits and godliness for here now, and then there are eternal benefits and blessings for godliness. Now let me just pause because some of y'all are y'all I I, I really believe the room is probably divided right now on how you're even hearing what I'm saying. For those of you who are listening. Um, you could be hearing one of two sermons. Uh, some of you are hearing, be disciplined because Jesus was disciplined, so work harder, try harder. That's what Jesus did, do it. If that's what you're hearing, you're going to leave here, and either you're going to just say, forget that, or you're, it's going to be a heavy yoke, not light. Others of you are hearing me rightly. Jesus disciplined Himself for the purpose of godliness in His Spirit of discipline. His spiritual power has been granted to you. Now go live as He's called you to live in the power that He's given you to live it in. That's a different sermon. And it lands different. Because it's an easy yoke. It's a light burden He's given us now let me put one or two more passages before us. Uh, Galatians five, as a verse I've been thinking a lot about. Galatians five sixteen, and it says, "Walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." It could be translated, "Keep in step with the spirit." Well, what does it mean to keep in step with the spirit? Others have translated it like this. Order your life according to the Spirit. What does the Spirit do? One of the the main things the Spirit does is He takes what is chaotic and disorderly and He orders it. That's one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit. To bring order from chaos. order your life according to the Spirit and you will not walk or live in the desires of the flesh. Another way that it says in Romans 8, those of you who walk according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who walk according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is our help in having an orderly, disciplined life because this is what He does. From the beginning, you could go back to literally the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, that phrase, right after that, you'll see this. The earth was without form and void, tohu wabohu in Hebrew. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God said, and what does He do? From disorder and chaos... He brings order, beauty, structure, goodness, right? This is what the Holy Spirit does in also our lives. He takes what is disorderly. He takes what is undisciplined and He orders it. That's what it means to walk according to the Spirit. Let the Spirit of God order your life. Reorder your life according to the will of God. And this is our main aim this year. Uh, There are some corporate ways that we should do this. There are uh, some private and personal ways we should do this. Acts 2.42 says about the early church, they devoted or they disciplined themselves in the Word of God. Breaking of bread. I take it to be the Lord's Supper. Most take that phrase to mean Uh, a formal breaking of bread in the Lord's Supper, the prayers, corporate prayer, and fellowship. Those four things. The Word of God, prayer, breaking of bread, and fellowship. Those are, two of them are things we can do alone. We pray, and we can submit ourselves and read the Word. We can do those alone, and we can do those together. The other two must be done together. Fellowship, And the breaking of bread. Church, look. This is the beginning not only of this week. This is the beginning of the year. Would you commit to every single day for this year to say, I will begin my day putting my eyes in this book. I will begin my day not looking at the phone, not thinking about all this stuff we got to do this Today. I will begin my day hearing God for 30 seconds or for 30 minutes, but hearing God every day. He gets to speak to me first. And then every week, the beginning of every week, 52 or 53 weeks, however many we have this year, I will start my week gathering with the Lord's people, hearing the Word of God, putting it over my life, allowing the Holy Spirit, to work through the preaching of the Word to reorder my life. And if you do that, the Spirit works through the Word. So if you do that privately and you do that publicly, your life will begin to be put back in order. Now what I'm not saying is all your problems go away. I'm not saying you don't have a problem free life or no suffering in 2023, but what will happen is order will be created from chaos. You will get control over things that you do not currently have control over. You will see improvement. The Spirit of God works with the Word of God privately, personally, and corporately. These are very two basic things I would really encourage us to pursue. Church, as we come to the table, uh, this has been rightly called for hundreds of years a means of grace, a spiritual discipline, because if we come to the table and we take it, Remembering Jesus Christ disciplined Himself for godliness so that He could give that godly body as an offering to God so that He could be a sacrifice for sin. He gave His body and blood to forgive us of our sins. You come to the table believing that and believing that that is for you, it sanctifies you. It makes you more godly. Uh, I would encourage you, church, to come with that in mind today. And for those of you who are not believers in Christ, you've not been baptized in His name, you're not committed to a church, we'd ask you to refrain. Uh, but in your bulletins, there's a, a red bulletin there. It has some prayers you can pray in this time that I think will be meaningful for you. Uh, take a few moments, pray, think on these things, and we'll come to the table together. Father, Uh, We give You praise, Lord, because You're worthy of praise. Lord, we, we need You, Lord. We are not sufficient for these things. But as Your Word says, our sufficiency is in Christ. Lord, You have given us divine power to destroy strongholds. You have given us divine power to supplement our faith with virtue. And our virtue with self-control and steadfastness and knowledge and brotherly affection and love. And so we ask You to please help us for Your name's sake, for the sake of those You've called us to love and serve, that we'd get our lives together not by our own strength, but by the power of Your Holy Spirit according to Your Word, that You would help us to clean up messes, to order things that are disorderly, to prioritize things that are of utmost importance, and to get rid of and cleanse ourselves of things that only pollute and bring death and destruction. Lord, we ask You for the help for all of these things and we know it's Your will to give it to us. So we praise You. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.